So uh, we are starting a new series today, and this series is called Rhythm. And over these next several weeks, we're going to be taking a look at some different sacraments and disciplines that help us uh, grow close to God, that help us build a rhythm into our lives of being able to remember who God is, to be able to draw near to Him. And some of these are things that we do together. Some of them are going to be things we do as a church today specifically We're talking about communion and the Lord's Supper. This is an activity that we partake in together. Some of the uh, disciplines that we'll be talking about in in the coming days will be things that we do on our own. There'll be things that help us remember. And these are rhythms that have been established. Some, like today, this meal that uh, has been for over 2,000 years, passed down from Jesus to Paul to the early church and throughout. And so some of these are ancient practices, things that have been very... uh, prescribed to us over time. Uh, Some of them have been things that have been passed down and there are ways that we can uh, have a chance to experience God in new ways. We'll be talking about things like Sabbath, talking about things like tithing, baptism, some of the different ways that we experience them both together and on our own. And it's gonna be a really exciting season. It's something that I've been looking forward to because our life is built around rhythms. We need ways to be able to encounter him because if not, it's so easy to get drifted away, to be pulled apart by the busyness of our everyday life. Because I think um, if we're among friends here, right? We, we can speak together, right? We, we're forgetful people. Like I forget a lot of things. And though I like to think I'm a good at remembering, I like my structures, I like my little systems. I have like 6,000 notes in my Evernote. So I try not to forget anything. I've got all my little things. My keys are always in the exact same place when I get home every day in my wallet. So I always know where they are. Sometimes people in my house don't always know where everything is. Um, just, you know, and maybe some of you have experienced this, like you're walking somewhere. This is happening to me more and more. You sort of forget what you're doing uh, and you just sort of stand in the kitchen and you look around and you have no idea what you started to do. Um, Rachel has really been into the Enneagram. Someone uh, mistakenly gave us this book to take over our lives, I think. Um, and so I've learned that I'm a one, so I like structure and order. And so that's part of me. I like to have all these things together to remember, but I forget a lot. And it's just part of it. And it seems to be happening more and more. And I don't know if it's just because, you know, I'll blame the kids, right? I have kids, that's why I forget. It's not because I'm getting older. It's not because I'm so addicted to my phone. It's all these other things. And sometimes it's just inconvenient, right? Sometimes you forget how long the drive home is after a football game when you lose it. Say the school that you support and you drove up there for a game last night and you lose and you drive home. And it's like, that is the longest drive ever because it's been so long since you've lost there. So, you know, something's just inconvenient. Um, Sometimes it can be funny, right? If you forget things, there's something you can laugh about it. A few years ago, we went to Gatlinburg and we were so excited to go up to the mountains with the family. And we remember like everything for the kids. You have like, you can't even see all the rear view mirror. I don't even know why kids need so much stuff. Like there's bikes and there's scooters and there's like 13 pacifiers and a case of diapers. And I like, we remember all their stuff. We get up the first morning and we're getting ready to go on the first hike. And it's like this crisp fall day. And I open my suitcase and there are no undergarments in there at all. Um, in the midst of remembering all their stuff, I forgot the one thing that I really needed in the midst of this. And then there's that embarrassing moment where you have to ask your host like, hey, do you know where a Dollar Tree is? Because we really can't get the day started until we get there. Um, so sometimes it's just funny. Sometimes forgetting is just like annoying. Um, a couple months ago, we, I was in Malawi visiting some of our friends who from Children of the Nations with uh, folks here. And you have one chance to kind of get everything home from Malawi. Like you don't really plan on bringing a whole lot back, but you, you know, once you leave camp and you're boarding the airplane, it's pretty far away and there's not like a UPS, you don't have Amazon Prime to just kind of pick things up and bring it back over. And as I was boarding the airplane and walking up the steps and waving goodbye to our host, it's flashed in my head that I've left my favorite jacket. 
And if you're from Florida, or if you have just moved here, one thing you know or will learn is you need one jacket in Florida. And it's gotta be the perfect jacket because you need like three days of this jacket. And it's gotta be just heavy enough to keep the cold off, but like light enough that you're not gonna die in it. And I had finally found the jacket. Someone gave it to me. It's like this like Patagonia pullover. I love it. I wear it probably way too much, but it was great. And as I was walking up the steps and looking back, waving, I'm like, I left the jacket on the steps at camp in Malawi, it's gone, you know? So then you're like worry about it and you're like trying to figure out how to get it back. I got it back, um, good news. So sometimes there's also good news when you forget. Um, sometimes you might forget by accident. Um, Ra- I asked Rachel about a time um, if she could remember me forgetting something and she brought back, when we only had uh, two girls at the time. She was getting her hair done and I guess I had the girls and I brought her back, like we were trading the kids off and took her to the hair salon or trading the kids. And I walk in, I'm like, oh, Andy's got a dirty diaper. And Rachel looks at me and she's like, well, why don't you change it? I'm like, I don't have any diapers. Like, that's crazy. What she, and she goes, and she was telling me like, every time she leaves the house, she has like an armada of baby stuff. Like there are diapers and she can't understand how in one hour I couldn't figure out how to carry one diaper with me. So maybe it was on accident that I forgot the diapers. I don't know. Um, sometimes um, forgetting can be a little bit hurtful when you're forgotten and maybe also a little bit funny. Um, my 18th birthday, I still remember, it was the, like the day after, it was Sunday. And I see my friend Todd and he's like, hey man, where were you last night? I'm like, I don't know, I was at home. He's like, you missed a really good party. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, it was your birthday party. Um, Why weren't you there? You didn't invite me. Um, You forgot to tell me about my birthday party. He's like, oh man, you should have been there. It was really great. I'm like, I I bet it was. Thanks for telling me about it. I will forever be scarred by this. Um, Fortunately, Todd called me the day after Irma. I hadn't seen him since high school and his flight got diverted and we got to have lunch where he should have apologized, but he didn't. But um. But we're a forgetful people, right? Like it's just part of us. And, and I think it gets worse and worse now. There's just so much to try to remember. It's just constant information. We're overloaded with it. It's all the time, it's coming at us. And I think it makes it harder and harder to remember. It can also be really hard to remember when life is really good, right? When things are up and to the right, you just kind of keep trucking along and you can ignore some of the, the underlying things that are happening. It's really easy to not have to think about those things. But when life starts to flatline or, or, or starts in a season on the decline and those things happen, Um, If we don't have good memories in place, if we don't have a way to remember what's important, it can become really, really easy to drift. Um, I I really appreciate it um, when you read something in the news or you hear a podcast or there's some sort of uh, like foundational truth that we know is true. And maybe we know it's true because we know God or because there's a piece of this that is so true in it. But I love it when it surfaces in just the regular world. And I was listening to a podcast the other day and this uh, CEO out in, in a San Francisco, kind of a startup company, she was saying that, I'm talking about company culture and she's saying it was so important to understand what's important about your company and, the, and, and to craft this culture when things are good or when you're first getting started because when things start to level off or to start to go down, people start leaving left and right and all of the illnesses, all of the things that were broken before start to come to light, all the things you were so easily able to ignore when things were good are there. And if you don't have a solid baseline, if you don't have a way to remember what's most important, you will drift away and you will start to fail. We're forgetful people. This is just one of those external ways that we get to see that that's lived out and sometimes it's lived out on a number sheet and sometimes it's lived out in our life. And if we don't have a way to remember what's true, uh, we will follow our feelings or our circumstances and they can lead us to some bad conclusions and really poor directions. Uh, we in our lives are in danger of forgetting and the stakes are so, so high. In our marriages, uh, if you don't remember that this was a commitment, that this 
decision to love one another, that this thing that you committed to one another before God and your family, if you don't have that baseline of remembering why that's so important, it's so easy to forget the first time you don't feel it anymore, right? I hear that so often. We just don't feel anymore. The feelings are gone and you forget the commitment part. And it's just so easy to, maybe I'll just have that one conversation at work. Maybe, Maybe I'll just click that one link. Maybe I'll just look in that one place. Maybe I'll just go find a way to get the feelings back. And it so quickly turns into drifting and the walking away and then going down some places that you never, ever expected to go. Maybe it's with your kids. There's so many of us, whether we're raising little ones or as they've gotten older, for some of you that are raising, have adult children, if we don't remember and have a way to really remember that our kids are each uniquely crafted by God and that they have a unique personality and that they have been created in a way, and if we don't build those relationships with them early on when things are going well, when things start to be hard, it's really hard to start a relationship then. It's really hard to have a voice and it becomes very easy to forget uh, who this person is and was and is created to be when they come home for the first time in their country phase or whatever phase it is that uh, walks in and you don't recognize them anymore. And then you remember, hey, I did that too. Um, but we're in danger of forgetting and you can start to throw away the relationship with them over these short-term things. Or maybe the one that we see a lot and that I, I and it can be so tempting is that we forget that our presence is important and we start to just buy things. We start to give things in place of us because we think that's what they really need. We can be in danger of forgetting that the relationship and our presence is so important. For some of you, it might be your sobriety. Maybe you have been living sober for so long and that thing that was slowly killing you or maybe for some of you that was quickly killing you, it's been so long since you've been in that place and uh, maybe just one drink, maybe just one click, maybe just one little thing isn't gonna hurt you. It doesn't control you anymore. So maybe if you just do that one thing and you have control over it now and you'll be fine. And if you forget, if you don't remember what life was like before and what it took to get you to this new place, you can end up just slowly drifting back into that place. And maybe the stakes are even higher now that there's family around you, that there's people that have come to trust you and that they need you in the midst of that. For some of you, it may be work. I mean, work is one of those places where we spend so much of our life, right? Thousands upon thousands of hours. It's uh, one of the places where we invest the most of our life. And if we forget uh, that God has created us to do work, that God has actually created work for a purpose, um, I was asking a friend, what was he in danger of forgetting? He said, if I forget um, that I was actually placed in this job for a reason, I mean, if, if he didn't have a way of going back and remembering like what life was like and why he got there, then when the boss changes or the goals don't quite line up or when your work just isn't being appreciated the way it used to be or it's just not giving you the same life it used to, to give you, you can start questioning yourself or questioning the purpose of it and then it starts to drift you and you start forgetting that you're created uniquely and created to do good things and that starts to carry over into all these other areas of your life. I've been there where you just show up to work and it's just you're just drifting through the day and you wonder what is the purpose of all this and we can become in danger of forgetting getting our place in the midst of that and how God has created us. And maybe it's God. Maybe God is the place where you don't remember well. It's, maybe it's hard to remember that he's faithful because if you flip on the news and you see Las Vegas, pick any day in the last month and you turn it on, Irma, Maria, Mexico, Myanmar, the list goes on and on. I mean, you can pick anything happening in the world today in Puerto Rico and it just keeps going and going and the brokenness is so big and you look at it and you can start questioning, is God really present? Is, is he really faithful in the midst of all this, in the midst of all of the brokenness that we see? And then when we don't remember that for thousands of years that he has been faithful through all of it, through things worse than this and things like this, it can become really easy to forget and to start drifting away from it and to be cut off from the source of life. They're the only one who can give us life. And that is the great danger, forgetting and not remembering because we can be tempted to leave and be cut off from him and from the source of life, the one who has offered his grace 
and redemption. What's great is that God knew this. God knew this and he knows this. He created us, he created you and I, and he knows that we're forgetful people. And he created a practical way for us to remember. A very practical meal that, once, that over and over again reminds us of who he is and that he is there with us. Today, we're gonna be looking in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 34. And we're gonna be joining Jesus in this meal and his disciples. It's in your bulletins or you can follow along in your Bible, Luke 22, verses 14 through 34. To give a little context of where we are in this, um, at the, right before this, Jesus has entered Jerusalem. He is the triumphant king. It's the thing that we celebrate on Palm Sunday. He's had this incredible moment where he's going into the city um, and there's been joy. He's, he's teaching then uh, in the courts day after day about the end of his life. He's uh, teaching about the difficulties and the days that are to come. So he's been telling his folks pretty plainly right on the open what's going to happen and, and setting them up for what is coming in the days to come. And then he pulls his closest disciples together into a room for a meal, into a very intimate meal, 12 people in a room together for a meal. And so that's where we pick up here in Luke chapter 22. In verse 14, it says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in trials and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. This is God's word. Uh, Jesus sets up a meal to remember in the midst of people who are forgetting in the very present reality of people forgetting. And I don't believe by any stretch of the imagination that this was a mistake, that he was gonna set up this meal and be surprised that the people that he knew so well would be actively forgetting all of the things that he taught them, all of the ways they're wired. We see in this meal, Judas, uh, one of the 12 people, one of his closest friends and followers is about to betray him. He's forgotten who he is. He's forgotten his identity. He's forgotten the teachings of the one who loved him. He's forgotten the place that Jesus rescued him from. In verses 21 through 23, in the midst of this meal, Jesus says, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Right there, 
right in the middle. I mean, he had just finished giving the words of the meal and in the midst of it says, someone here is forgetting who they are. He knows, he knows that we're wired up this way. He knows that we're forgetful people. Peter, one of my heroes, one of my favorite people in the Bible, Peter, who always speaks so fast and puts his foot in his mouth. Peter, the first one to jump off the boat. Peter, in this meal, Jesus tells him, you're going to forget and you're going to deny me. And when you do it, if we look in verses 31 to 32, I so appreciate this. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In the midst of talking to them, he acknowledges his forgetfulness. I have to imagine Peter, he called Simon here, Simon Peter, that later on as he comes face to face with Jesus on the beach when he has a chance to make things right, when Jesus asks him three times and gives him a chance back in, I have to imagine Peter is remembering those words. And when you turn back, Jesus knew in the midst of the meal that Peter, one of his closest and dearest followers, the person that the church would be built on, was even then forgetting. The disciples, the 11 that were left after all this, we find them later in the story after Jesus has died on the cross, locked behind a door for fear that they would lose their life. Uh, they had already forgotten all of the things that they had been taught, had forgotten uh, how Jesus said things were going to play out. And there they were living in fear and, and hiding and not expecting him to come back. They had forgotten already who Jesus was. And even, again, right here in the middle of the story in verse 24, uh, the disciples have forgotten Jesus' teaching. I mean, they have been sitting next to him day after day. They've left their homes, their lives. They followed him around. And we find them forgetting pretty much everything Jesus had shown them for three years because it says in 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Here they were in this last meal. And here they are arguing about who's gonna be the greatest in this new thing. They've forgotten Jesus' model of servanthood, of what he has taught them, even before this, when he has explicitly told them how this would all play out and how the leadership structure would look, they have forgotten. Jesus sets up a meal to remember this in the midst of forgetfulness. And it's a meal that was then passed on to the early church. About 20 years later, uh, we see in the early church this meal being shared. And oftentimes, um, we talk about the early church and how beautiful it was and how they shared everything together. And we find that this meal is one of those places that was kept. It was an important part of what they did. I'm gonna be sharing from you uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. Paul here to the church of Corinth says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Those words probably sound very familiar to many of you. These are the same words that we often use when we institute this, or maybe you've heard it at other churches as you've taken communion. Their words have been passed down for 2,000 years. It was an important part of the early church. But what I find so interesting is just a couple of verses before this, five verses before this in 17, this beautiful early church, this church that we strive to get back to, this church that was sharing everything with one another, they had already forgotten most of what they had been taught about being in the church. Paul says to them right before he reminds them about this meal, he says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. 
No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Forgetfulness. The church had already forgotten. Paul had been there, set it up. And just a couple of years later, they'd already forgotten the things that were so important, the unity around the church, taking care of one another. And Paul reminds them, this meal is still for you. In the midst of your forgetfulness, this meal has been set for you. Let us take it and remember what it's for. So what do we need to remember? In the midst of all this, what is it important to remember? And I think there's a few things that are so important. And the first is this. You are loved and forgiven. Jesus set this meal because he knows that we forget. He knew in the midst of that room that there were gonna be people that were gonna walk away, that were gonna deny him, that were gonna lock the door. And he knew that today, 2,000 years later, that we are a forgetful people and that we will forget him in the midst of our lives. And he says, no, this table reminds you that I keep coming back for you. My love for you is fierce, it is real, and I will continue to come for you. And this table is open to you time and time again, no matter how many times you forget, no matter how broken you are, this table is for you. And he pursues us and he meets us at the table. The meal is left to remind us of the deep love for us in the midst of all of our brokenness. Not in spite of, not in a naive way of thinking that we weren't gonna do this, but in full recognition of how broken and how forgetful we're gonna be, a meal that invites us back time and time again that he loves us. Second thing, that we're unified at the table. We see this early division there. This table unifies us. This table is meeting around a common purpose. This table brings us together from every class, from every tribe, from every nation. This is the table that brings us together and brings us together as a church as we focus on the thing that's important, on Jesus. It is the thing that brings us together from every political line and every socioeconomic background. And it's a family meal. It's a meal that invites us together, that breaks down the lines that can sometimes divide us and brings us together. Though this meal is for his followers, though it is a family meal, though it is a meal instituted for those who call Jesus their Lord and Savior, it is also one of the most inviting meals that has ever been set because there is no limit to how many people can take this meal. This meal is an invitation to you today. And if you've never taken the opportunity to be in a relationship with Jesus, you're invited, you're invited, you're invited. If you give all of yourself that you know towards Jesus, if you repent, if you say to God, I need this, I am a forgetful person, I'm a broken person, and I want you in my life, you are invited to this meal and this table becomes a place to gather around and to come to him. You're invited to this meal. Though it is for the family, it is an invitation to all. A third thing this meal does is it gives us time to examine ourselves. The meal builds in time for reflecting and searching and being honest, to be able to see and repent of our sins, to see our brokenness that's there. We see early on uh, in a couple of verses after this in, in the first Corinthians passage, after he does the words, it says in verse 28, it says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. When we do communion here, we often build in a time to be quiet, a time to reflect. We give you time to stay in your seats if you need to before you come up to be honest about the brokenness that's there, but it's not an honesty that leads us to stay in our brokenness. It's not there to be guilt. It's not there for shame. It is there to drive us back to the one who forgives us. And when you come to the table, you are reminded you are forgiven that Jesus will meet you there, that you have the time to take it seriously, but also the time to rejoice in the gift and the grace that he offers. Another thing that happens at this meal is that we're reminded that there is a new kind of power. Uh, 
He says, the one who rules will be like the one who serves. The greatest will be like the youngest. We are called to radically serve one another. There is an upending and an upheaval of power that happens in the midst of this meal. Jesus once again tells them, I am the servant. Though he had all the cards, he had all of the power. He was God incarnate. He came as a servant and he calls us to do the same. I think the first time that I really heard that in this meal and when I thought about the story in John where Jesus takes his robe off and washes the feet that happens around the same time, it it so radically changed my life and the way I lead and the way I serve and the way I live life. Because when you go back and you take a look at Jesus, if you view his life through that lens, over and over and over again, you see a consistent Jesus that lived his life that way through all the gospels. We're gonna be spending the whole next year speaking of Jesus. Week after week, we're gonna be sharing about Jesus. That will be our series for the year. And we're gonna have a chance. And I would encourage you to take that lens and to see it because when you see it, when you see how the God of the universe actually lived on earth, your life can't be the same if you start to follow that Jesus. And it has radically upended the way that I live and the way that I lead. And then this meal also foreshadows a table and a meal that will be set in heaven. It foreshadows a meal that's to come. And not only is it a meal that's rooted right here in the reality of our day-to-day life, it foreshadows a meal to come. A table that will be filled and be bigger than any table you can imagine with every kind of person that follows Jesus. And we will get together and all the brokenness will be gone and all the tears will be gone and we'll be seated there with the God of the universe and having a meal unlike any other. And we will have the chance to be with one another. This table reminds us and foreshadows that table that's to come. So today we're gonna take a chance. We're going to take the opportunity and give a little extra space and time to celebrate the Lord's Supper, this communion meal with one another. We're going to partake together and remember and to put into practice the things that we need to remember in some real practical ways in the midst of this meal. The first thing that we're going to remember is that Jesus loves and forgives you and that his love is fierce, that he meets you time and time again at this table. No matter how you've walked into this room, no matter where you are in your life, if you are a follower of him, he will meet you at this table and forgive you and he will continue to do this time and time again and you're invited to this table and we will be rooted physically into his grace as we take this meal together. The second thing this meal will do is that it will unite us, physically unite us across this whole room, across this church, though we are very different in many ways and we come from all kinds of different places. This table will be the place where we gather with one another and it unites us. And it's a beautiful picture of what's to come, but it's a beautiful picture of what the church's hope is, that it unites us around Jesus, this common purpose, this thing that we can agree on is so important. It also, one of the incredible things this table does is it unites us not only with the people in this room, but every other person that's taking communion this morning and every person who's taking communion throughout time and every person that will, it unites us across the body of Christ. It is one of the things that brings us all together. And it's a beautiful thing that we get to do. Third thing that we'll do is we're gonna take some time for examination. We're gonna have a time to pray together, a prayer of confession, and then take a beat to be able to, to think and to breathe and to be able to look inside ourselves and to be honest about our brokenness, to be honest about our forgetfulness, to be honest about the places where we fall short. And again, not so that we sit there, but so that it will drive us to the table to be reminded of the deep grace and forgiveness that Jesus has for each and every one of us. Uh, Today, uh, we're actually going to have an opportunity if you so choose to serve one another. Again, the teaching in there, of the greatest will be like the youngest, that this radical idea of servant leadership. And you're gonna have an opportunity to do that. And I'll share with you more about that in a moment. But if you so choose, you'll have an opportunity to physically serve one another. And then also this meal is a hopeful meal and it looks forward to the meal that will be set for us in heaven. And we will celebrate following communion with a longer set of worship where we have a chance to raise our voices and our hearts to God as a time of celebration.